you know, it's just great to come together and worship together. I've been saying a lot of, uh, to people during uh, this time, since a couple of weeks ago, when we know that that uh, storm rolled through our area, and, and just people, and you just sense it, and it just resonates with people, that people want to get back to some sense of normal. And so to be able to come back together, it's a, a yet another representation of what is normal, that we can come together as we normally would as a church family and worship God and honor God. It's just good to come together and worship with you. And, and I've just got to confess, at times I peek, I look around, and, and I watch you worship. And the reason I do that is it just really, really, uh, to be quite honest with you, it encourages me to look as I did this morning and, and to see teenagers and students that were uh, engaged in worship and to see senior adults and every other age group represented in between. I mentioned to you last week that uh, worship, uh, and it was a book, uh, Worship is a Witness. And when you worship God and when people see you that are not yet connected to God and they see the authenticity of your love and your commitment to Jesus. I love the verse that says in the Bible, and I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but those who have been forgiven much, love much. And sometimes you can, especially if you happen to know somebody's story a little bit, and you just know that uh, God has just brought to pass an incredible transformation in their life, and to see that they're just worshiping God. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's a powerful thing, and it encourages us as believers, but it is a witness to those who are not yet followers of Jesus. As I mentioned to you last Sunday when we began this message series, it is the most important one of this year, and I do not hesitate in saying that. Uh, we've covered a lot of important uh, topics uh, since early this year, in January of this year, and it is hard to believe that we're already almost at October, and we've covered a lot of important things and a lot of things that God has used to help us all as we've looked into his word, but this really is the main thing. And it's what we've got to be reminded of from time to time. It's like I said, you know, as a pastor, just sort of my normal uh, pastoral ministry, I, I, I want to provide inspiration and encouragement. I always want people, I said this last week, when they leave to be in so much better condition in every way, spiritually, emotionally, than how they came in. And, uh, and yet those, there's these times, and I know it and you know it, when we've just got to rattle that cage, we've got to ring that bell a little bit, we've got to grab our attention once more because our natural inclination, and all of us know this about ourselves, is our natural inclination is to become relaxed. It is to become apathetic. It is to become overly self-interested. And when we do, we take our eye off of the very thing that we're talking about in this series that is giving so much incredible emphasis in the Bible, the main thing which is sharing our faith, which is evangelizing. And we're going to talk about that, of course, today. Uh, if you were not here uh, last week, I would encourage you to go online. You can watch it online. You can listen to it uh, online. You can download it in podcast version and listen to it that way if you're running or, or walking or whatever you're doing. But if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. We spent some time in Luke chapter 15 in that kickoff talk. And we just talked about these back-to-back -back parables that Jesus gave and the commonality among them all. When Jesus started with 100 sheep, and then he talked about that, and one of them wanders away, what will a shepherd do? A shepherd will go and look 
until, it find, until he finds that one lost sheep. The lady who lost one coin, and it represented a tenth of her estate, and she just turned over every piece of furniture and looked for that lost corn, uh, coin passionately. And then we looked at one son, uh, the, uh, the prodigal, as he's often referred to. And we talked about out of each of these parables, there is this commonality that lost things matter to God, that uh, lost things require a compelling search, And then we talked about when lost people are found, heaven throws a celebratory party. And we ended that service by inviting people to become followers of Jesus. And there were those who prayed that prayer, and heaven once again began a celebration. Now this week, in part two, I'm going to get really, really practical with you. And and many of you, I want to just say this, many of you are going to learn something about yourself that you did not know. In fact, you're going to learn something about yourself that you've never known about yourself until today when you hear it. Now, I want to move into this a little bit uh, differently by giving you some background in regards to my own story. And this will only take a few moments because I want to get into these practical realities. Uh, You know, growing up, except for a short while, when I regrettably got away from God, got away from church as a teenager, it wasn't a long, long time, but looking back, it felt like an eternity looking back. Uh, aside from that time, I basically had the privilege to grow up in church, and I'm so glad that my mom and my dad kept me in church as a child. And, and I want to just say to you who are parents, it is important that your kids see that uh, church is a priority to you, that God is a priority to you. If you say, and you've heard me mention this, but I need to mention it again, if you say to your child, what, you're going to school, you are going to get up out of that bed no matter how tired you are, no matter how you're feigning to be, you know, like sick, when we all know you're not really sick, you are going to school, and you make your kids go to school because they're supposed to be at school, but you get real lackadaisical in regards to church, you know what you've done is you've just communicated to them a message. And the message is school and education is important, which it really is. But you communicate that it's more important than church. And and you don't want to do that. And so I look back, and by no means did I have perfect parents and nor would I pretend, nor would I pretend that uh, we were perfect kids, but I'm so glad that uh, my parents kept me in church. Now, uh, growing up in church, and I realize that what I'm about to share with you is going to sound so foreign to many of you that are here. But in those days, looking back when I was very, very young, when I was a child, at my home church in Atlanta, we would have these consecutive nights of church services, and you put enough of these consecutive nights together, how many of you have ever been around or you've heard about or you've been a part of a revival? And I can remember that, girl. And I'm not talking about once or twice during the week. I'm talking about Dr. Hackett, night after night after night. And we were not as children ministry oriented in those days. So you know what that meant? As a kid, night after night after night after night for one to two weeks and sometimes longer, I'd be right in the middle of that service with my parents. And I didn't really understand it all now. Looking back, I was just a kid. But as a kid, in my perspective, I I loved, even when I was very young, started sports when I was very young. But for these particular services, 
The messages would be these revival night after night consecutive services. Uh, the messages during these times would be given, at least the way it worked in my mind, by the church version of the relief pitcher. The starter had a break. Uh, our home pastor, who I dearly, dearly love, this person was, was, who was the usual starter, our senior leader, uh, he got a little time off to make room for the guest evangelist. And you've got to know my heart, and I think this will connect with you. It'll become obvious. But uh, so I want to just be clear. I am not in any way, lest you think otherwise, speaking in a disparaging manner when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. But I knew my pastor. Uh, we called him Brother Bray. Brother Bray. It was in the years of brother and sister. And I called him Brother Bray, and our family called him Brother Bray. But I noticed something about these uh, relief pictures, at least in my estimation, as compared to Brother Bray. They seemed more animated. They seemed more flamboyant. They were actually quite a bit louder, as I recall, than our pastor was. In fact, I am so young at this particular point in time that I do not remember this occurring, although I was right there, but I was so young. But all of my family validated that it actually happened, that, that one particular evangelist, if I would call his name, some of you would recognize the name from years ago, who became extremely loud in the delivery of his message, and my little sister was soundly sleeping in my papa's lap, and he got so loud that he woke her up from her nap to which she just sort of sat up startled in my papa's lab and yelled out shut up <laughs> much to the embarrassment of our entire family I think our family at that point in time seriously contemplated the need to change churches <laughs> you know if a, a, a two or three year old shouts down the guest evangelist that's just not a really a good thing but as crazy as it might sound it was in one of those revival services with a guest evangelist that I was incredibly saved by God. Amen. And I look back now, and it's funny to me thinking about it, you know, because looking back, I can't tell you I was really that crazy about that evangelist. I don't even remember what he spoke about that night. And I certainly didn't enjoy this particular guest evangelist as much as I did my home pastor. But how many of you know when God has that moment for you, the Holy Spirit works through any kind of circumstance when God has a plan to bring you to his son, Jesus. And I can remember getting up and just walking down to the front of the church. And I'm like, what am I doing? What, a, what am I doing? What? And I went and I bowed my knee and I asked Jesus to become the Savior and the leader of my life. I was 15 years of age, and I've not looked back since. And it's amazing how that God would use a situation like that that I didn't entirely understand to reach a guy like me that was on the run from, from God. And to me, looking back now, he and those like him were the evangelists. And yet, when I thought about it, in my estimation, evangelism had virtually nothing to do with me. Now, why did I feel that way? I, again, I'm a new Christian. I'm like... This is the evangelist, and I don't have anything to do with evangelism. I'm just a normal guy. I'm a 15-year-old that has just given my life to Jesus. He's an evangelism. He's an evangelist, but evangelism has, it has nothing to do with me. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to do my thing. He's the evangelist. I'm, I'm just a normal student, you know, trying to finish high school. So 
in, in that regard, I, f- I felt that way because, honestly, at that point in time, I've never, I had read the Bible, but I've never seriously read the Bible. I certainly did not understand the Bible. And it wasn't until much later that I comprehended and could distinguish the difference. Hear me now. The difference between the office or the responsibility of an evangelist or the position of an evangelist and every Christian's essential responsibility to evangelize. So let me tell you a lesson early that I wish I had learned early, and that is you are an evangelist. It is your responsibility to evangelize. It is my responsibility to evangelize. Whether you realize it or not, you have an evangelism obligation. And there are certain, and we're going to talk about this today, and some of you have never heard this before, but there are certain evangelism styles that are already connected to you, to your personality, to your temperament, and to your calling. I want you to know, I am not the only one in this room called by God. You are called by God, and you have a kingdom assignment under Jesus. We are all to evangelize. We're all to tell others the good news, and why wouldn't we? So before we get into six of these styles, I want to read just a paragraph from a book that I read some time ago. Uh, And you may want to read it. It's a great, great book. It's called The Upside Down Church. And let me just read. This particular writer says, few things in the Bible are more upside down than God's plan to save the world. Think about this for a moment. The all-powerful God of the universe chose limited, fallible human beings as his main vehicle to spread the most important message the world has ever known. He could have chosen, this is true, he could have chosen angels to do the job. He could have parted the clouds and spoken audibly and said something like this, Hello, humanity, I am God and you are not. In the past, he spoke through a burning bush, appeared in visions, and carved his laws on stone tablets But I want you to listen to this last part. But in our day, he has chosen, he has purposely chosen ordinary men and women to carry his message of salvation to the world. And who is that? That's you and me. Ordinary men and women to take the greatest message that has ever been told to the world. See, you, I think, are like I was sitting in those services, the one that I I was saved in. And the ones before then, and some of the ones after. And I'm like, you know what? That's the evangelist, and that has nothing to do with me. It's only when I more understood the Bible that I realized that it has everything to do with me. And that's why I want to go on record this morning. And rather than you taking a long time as I did to figure it out, I want you to know you're an evangelist. And God has equipped you. And we're not all the same. And we're not all that got to use the same styles and methodology. But what I want to do is I want to lift six of these, what we would call evangelism styles out of the Bible. Now, in your bulletin this morning, you have a little card. You're not going to turn it in. This is going to be something for you to keep for yourself. And it's a whole more, a lot more uh, lit up in here than it used to be, thank God. Uh, but some of you may be in a section where you can't see the card or maybe you don't have a pen. So maybe you just listen to these. Take the card with you because in them, and I'll just read it to you. You can go ahead and take it out. Of these six evangelism styles, which I'm about to share with you, Which one or one seems to best represent you? And so write them all down, all six down, but then I want you to come back and say, all right, which one or two seems to best represent me? Then a follow-up question that you can do later is how do you plan to use your particular evangelism style? Because I think most everybody, in fact, that is willing to, 
that is open to you, you're going to connect. Like some of these styles I'm going to mention, you're going to be like, nope, not me, not me. That's somebody else. You may know somebody that you think has that evangelism style. But there's going to be one or two at least that you're going to say, I think that could be me. I think that God could use that evangelism style in my life because it does fit my personality. And it does fit my temperament. And it probably is what God has called me to do. And then the bottom uh, question, who are you praying for and trying to influence to become a follower of Jesus? And I want you to do, as I've done many times, write down the names of the people that you are praying for who you would love to see come to Jesus. All right, so let's get started. I need to hurry. There are six of these evangelism styles that I want to share with you. Let me give you the first one. Here we go. Number one, the confrontational style. The confrontational style. And some of you just hear me say that and you get uncomfortable. So let me just go ahead and say that, that, that may not be your style. If you just get a little squeamish by me just mentioning the style, then that may very well be that you are not going to be operative in that style. But I want you to make a note to yourself. I'm not going to take you into all of these passages. We certainly wouldn't have time. But I want you to make a note to yourself to read Acts chapter 2 this week. And when you do, you're going to notice that the Apostle Peter actually uses this first style we're talking about. He uses the confrontational style of evangelism. And this is essentially how it plays out. This is post-crucifixion. This is after Jesus has been nailed to the cross. It's actually after the resurrection, his ascension. Uh, but it's post-crucifixion. And the Apostle Peter is there in Jerusalem. And he is speaking to a large crowd there. And as he speaks, he does not hold back. He does not say nice little words. You know what his message is for the day, and it is a confrontational style of evangelism. He says this, I want you to know what you have done. You have taken Jesus, and you have crucified him. You have crucified the innocent son of God, and you need to own up to it. You did it. You're the one that crucified him, and you need to repent right here, right now, and you need to be saved. Was he effective? I'd say. You know how effective he was? 3,000 people on that one occasion committed their life to Jesus. The confrontational style of evangelism. And I want to just say this to all of us that are here. Some people are only going to come to Jesus by being confronted about their current life. As you hear some of these other styles, five others that I'll mention in the next few moments, some people are, they're just not, it's not going to connect with them and it's not going to be persuasive to them. It is not going to influence them. It is not going to motivate them. But I'm telling you again and again, God uses, and many of you, this is your style of evangelism. It is what is most normal and natural to you is a confrontational style where you just deal very, very directly. It's, it's actually sort of like Peter did. It's like, hey, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. You need to get right with God. Now, please do not confuse this. This is not God giving us a free ticket to be rude and obnoxious and arrogant. It is not that at all, but it is a confrontational style that God uses. And I want to just say, listen, if that is normal and that is comfortable for you, you go with it and you don't have to be apologetic at all. Why? Because, listen, friends, God has wired you up a certain way 
And if that is the way that God has wired you up, you need to go with that, fully realizing that some people will not respond to these other styles that I'm about to mention, but they will respond to this first one, the confrontational style. And you can read more about it, especially in Acts chapter 2. The second one. The second one is the intellectual style, the intellectual style. And you're going to see that this one is different in many respects to the former one that I've just mentioned, the intellectual style. Be sure you write that down. And you find a fantastic example of this in Acts chapter 17. And I hope that you'll go back and read that chapter as well. Not just Acts 2, but Acts 17. Now, in this occasion, the characters are different. This is not the apostle Peter, this is actually the Apostle Paul, and is not a group in Jerusalem. He's actually talking to a totally group of uh, people, different group of people, I should say, in, in a place called Athens. Athens. Sounds familiar to me. He is writing, he is uh, not writing, but he is communicating to uh, philosophers and intellectuals in the city of Athens. Now, I, I want to just do a, a, a timeout because you, you can't be who I am and just let the city of Athens go completely unnoticed. Athens. I went back and read and reread that. Wow. All the philosophers and intellectuals have gathered in Athens. And that sounded very familiar to me. I read that, and nowhere did I see Knott'sville or Fayetteville or Starkville. Or should I say Gainesville or Tuscaloosa? <laughs> All right. You, you, hey, listen, you know, I, I can't come to something like that and just let, I can't, I, sorry, I apologize. You can't come to something like that and, uh, and, and not give some attention to it. And I know what some of you are thinking. You know, is he really so foolish to believe that it's talking about Athens, Georgia? I don't know a lot. Of, I don't know a whole lot, but I do know it's not Athens, Georgia. But it worked in the moment, so I wanted to go with it. All right, so just saying. So this is how Paul was going to evangelize. This is how he was going to spread the faith in that city. He was not going to be confrontational, that word, for those that have gathered in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Peter, if you know anything about his personality and demeanor, how many of you understand why the confrontational style would work for a guy like Simon Peter? But it's different for Paul. It's a totally different group of people. And he is going to reason with philosophers, and he is going to debate with intellectuals. It is the intellectual style that God uses. And I want you to hear me. Listen, I want you to hear me real clearly on this, because for many of you, this is the evangelism style that works best for you. It's the way that God has wired you up. How do you know when this may be a style that God wants you to use to evangelize others, to spread the message of Jesus, to reach other people for Jesus? You know how you can know that maybe this is a style that God is going to use in your life, you're the kind of person, here's the way that you could know. Here's some, here's some indicators. You're the kind of person that you love to read 
and you love to research things, and you love to study, particularly the Christian faith, and you get all fired up about defending Christianity and the evidence behind it, and you just imagine yourself in conversations where you get a chance to lovingly debate a different position, and you speak up for the evidences that validate Christianity. If this is the style that you best relate to, then friend, you go with it because that style God can use to compel and convince numerous people. And people who are like intellectual and they're heady like that, confrontational style may not work for them. But how many of you know God is able to use? Does this make sense? Does this make sense to anybody that is here? The intellectual style. All right, some of you are saying, all right, Jeff, you're not there yet. I'm, 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 I'm not, you know, confrontate. That doesn't really seem to jive with me, the intellectual style. I don't get fired up about reading, researching, studying. There's not this passion in me to, like, you know, be an apologist. That doesn't mean that you apologize for the gospel, that you defend the gospel, you speak up for the gospel. So see if you resonate with any of these last four. Thirdly, here it is, the testimonial style. The testimonial style. And I want to just share with you just one example of this. And here's one that you could add to your list that you could read later. It's in John chapter 9. And here we read about this guy that has been blind from birth, blind from birth. What does Jesus do? Jesus supernaturally heals this guy, and for the first time in his life, he is able to see. This guy who has never seen anybody, he's not seen a person, he's not seen a place, he's not seen a thing, he's never seen anything. He now has this amazing testimony, and you know what God does? God uses it in his life. And this guy just goes out, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the essence of what he is saying. He is saying to people as they're asking him, hey, aren't you the guy that's never been able to see? Yeah, that's me. I've never been able to see. Well, then can you care to explain to us how it is that you were born blind? You've never been able to see a day in your life, but now you can see totally and completely. You've got like 20-20 vision, and you don't even have to wear contacts like I do. I mean, tell me, what's going on? He says, you know what? I can't explain it all, but all I know is this. He has to be the Messiah. He has to be the Son of God. How else could I have been so dramatically healed? And maybe this is the evangelism style that works best for you, friends. Maybe it is. Because you have been on the receiving end of a miraculous transformation of some kind in your life, and you don't get fired up about confronting somebody about where they're at, and you're not looking to debate anybody and defend Christianity. You're not going to confront anybody with it. You're not going to debate about it. But what you're simply going to do is tell your story. You're going to share your testimony, and God is going to use your testimony to have a powerful effect upon other people. It is the testimonial style. How many of you, by the way, you feel like you've got a testimony of something incredible that God has done in your life? Tell your story. Tell your story. How many of you would agree people love to hear stories? People love to hear stories. And your story can be a convincing story. You never know but what the story that you have, the testimony that you have, is exactly the story. It is exactly the testimony that God is going to use, that somebody who had never reacted to a confrontational style, in fact, they may have been totally turned off on it. In fact, somebody that doesn't even want to get into the intellectual arguments of for or against, they're, they're, they have no clue. But you know when they perk up and listen, it's when they hear your testimony. And they wonder, could something like that happen to me? 
The testimonial style. Let me give you another one. A lot of you are going to resonate with this one. Here it is. The relational style. Be sure you get that down. Your phone, your tablet, on this card. The relational style. And you can read about this one in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus meets up with this demon-possessed man. And what does Jesus do? Jesus dramatically casts these demons out of this guy. And when he does, and I love this story, this is a guy that is not only extraordinarily grateful, you know what he wants to do, having been delivered from this demon possession, you know what he wants to do? He wants to run home long enough to pack his bag so that he can go on the road with Jesus. He has previously been demon possessed. Now he is a man that is free in his mind and in his spirit. And this is what he wants to do. If somebody could do something like that for me, then I just want to hang out with them all the time. So he said, Jesus, I think it's, it's a great idea, all right? It's a great, it's a great idea. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to pack my bag, and I'm going to follow you. It's amazing what Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. And I wonder, you know, when you think about the story, did this guy feel crushed? Was it like, man, you know, if Jesus has done so much for me, I just want to, I mean, Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. Look at what he says. Look at what he does. I just want to be with him. Every chance I have an opportunity to be with him, I want to be with him. And Jesus said, no, I've got a different plan for you. I'm going to use you in a different way. It's not that Jesus did not want him to be with him. It's just that he had, I think, a relational style of evangelism, or he would. Jesus has a different plan, and he said, hey, why don't you do this? Instead of going on the road with me, I want you to go back to your family and your friends, and I want you to spread the word. I want you to evangelize. I want you to use, check this out now, the the contacts of your relationships to tell people about me. You see, many of you, the confrontational style or the intellectual style or the testimonial style doesn't really cause your heart to beat that fast. But you are fantastic at building relationships. You have, and you don't even know why you have them. That's why I need to bring your attention to them today. Listen, you think that you have these impressive God-given people skills so that you can only make money with them, so that you can be the life of the party. But I'm telling you, that personality that God has deposited into your life is intentional, and God is able to use it. God is able to use that winsome personality of yours. You like people, people like you, and the closer that people get to you, hopefully the more of Jesus they see in you, and you are the perfect person to use this relational style of evangelism to talk to your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers about the one who has nail prints in his hand and can change their life. Not too long ago, I read this, and it made such sense to me. It said, more and more unbelievers first come to church because of relationships now, not religion. They're most likely to adopt the beliefs and faith of their friends. This has profound, listen carefully to this now, this has profound implications for how we go about evangelism in the third millennium. We have switched from the old way when people often came to church and then made friends to the new way when people make friends and then come to church. If this is so, listen to this next part, if this is so, what are the implications for churches in which all the members are friends with one another but not with outsiders? And for some of you, friends, you haven't even realized it. Something even in your mind right now is clicking. You're saying, I, th- I think that's the one for me. I've got friendships. I seem to make friends easy. And I could leverage those friendships to tell people. 
Now, this is going to sound strange, but I want you to think about it before I move on to this next one. Oftentimes, just hear me out, oftentimes people will have to be one to you before they will be one to Jesus. Does that make sense? Because you build a relationship with them, and they trust you, and they begin to trust you, and because they trust you and because they love you, it makes it easier for them to trust Jesus and to love Jesus. So let me give you the last two. Some of you who maybe have not resonated with some of the others, this one may be yours. The Number five, the invitational style. The invitational style. Probably the most famous example of this evangelism style is actually found in John chapter 4. Many of you have read this story before. It is the story of the woman at the well. She has a very unlikely conversation uh, with Jesus at the well that day, uh, which was uh, totally out of the ordinary because in those days, really, a a rabbi would not speak to a woman in any setting. In In fact, when the disciples come back, they're quite shocked that he's been engaged with this conversation. And in this conversation, this lady actually becomes convinced that she has been talking to the very Son of God. It's like, you wouldn't know these things about me. You wouldn't have this kind of insight into my life unless for the Son of God. And rather than go back into the city to retell what she has just heard, you know what she does? She invites the city to come out to hear Jesus talk. I hope that you are realizing by now, all of you, that there is an evangelism style that has been custom made for you and for every follower of Jesus. You're not about, I mean, you, you just, your knees knock. If you were to think, I would, I would have to, you know, like the Apostle Peter, just the confrontational style. I, uh, I, I'm not going to get all amped in reading to think, you know, I'm going to study and do all this research. Some of you are thinking, I, I gave that, all that up about 20 years ago. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not into that. But then this one resonates with you. Because you could say to somebody, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to church with me. I want you to hear a message from the Bible. I want you to be involved in worship with me. I I, I want you to hear this particular message series that I think is going to speak to you. I want to invite you to come out with me to this Christian event. Hey, by the way, we're having a Christian concert coming up. And you know what? It's not as nearly as hokey as you think that it will be. It will actually be quite good. And I'd like for you to come with me. Think about this reality. How many people are but one invitation away from salvation? Just one invitation away from salvation. All right? Some of you are saying, I hope this one is me because I still feel, all right, I'm going to get to you too. And this is one that God uses. And that is the sixth and last of all, and I'll just mention it for a moment because we're out of time, the serving style. The serving style. You say, is that really an evangelism style? You better believe it is. And you can read about it. Uh, In particular, in Acts chapter 9, we read about this lady by the name of Dorcas who served others, needy people, 
by making clothes for them. She had a talent. She had a gift. She had an ability. So what would she do? She would assess the need, and she would find people that were poor, and she would make garments for them, and she would give them to them. And you know what, friends? It is just as true today as it was in her day. Acts of mercy opens up the heart like nothing else will. And the very thing that may get a, the attention of somebody that is far from God, somebody that is not yet a, a follower of Jesus, may be an act of love and an act of serving that you do. And some of you, when you hear some of these evangelism styles, you're like, I could never do that. But could you mow your neighbor's yard? Could you, could you buy a little gift for a neighbor, a friend, a coworker that's in the hospital, write a little note reminding them that you are praying for them? Is there some way that you could serve to cook something for one of your neighbors in need? Some of you, how, how many of you, you have, it, it's, like, it's like your signature dish. How many of you, you've got this special dish that you, you're known for? It's like, go ahead, wave, wave your hand at me like this, all right? You, you're known for that dish. And listen, if you're concerned about it, I'll be happy to sample it before you give it away to unbelievers. I'll do that for you. But it's a style. To work on somebody's car. You know what? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Uh, some of you, and I, I look across, even when I just turned my head a moment ago, I, I see a guy uh, seated down close to the front here. That This guy, I'm convinced, could fix about anything. And I look at people, and I'm just like, how, how do you do that? How, do you, how can you get under the hood of this car and you could, I, I mean, for me, if I raise the hood because of a car problem, if it does not have an on and off switch, I'm completely lost. That's as far as I can. Oh, it's off. I'll just turn it on. But some of you, you just, you just have these incredible talents. And it's a serving style. You help a neighbor. You help a friend. And as I mentioned, that's of mercy opens the heart of somebody like nothing else will. All right, so I hope you'll go back and read these passages. I hope you'll think about them. I hope you'll hope that you've put in all sits down on your tablet, your phone, or this card, and then you'll go back and you'll look this week and say, all right, which seems to best represent me? And now how am I going to activate it? How am I going to use it? And who are the people that I'm going to influence with? Now, here's one verse, only one verse. In fact, the tech guys were, they thought there had been a typo because, you know, I, I alluded to a lot of passages, but I only gave them one to put on the screen today. And here it is, and I want you to read it with me, everybody. Here it is, and think about it as we do. There are a great many people to harvest, but there are only a few workers. So pray to God who owns the harvest that he will send more workers to help gather his harvest can I back up over here, see these two words on the bottom line, the front part of the line, more workers. That's what Jesus is looking for, more workers. And how many of you know he's actually talking about us? Would you stand for a closing prayer? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Help it not just be a message or a talk heard and then we do nothing at all with it. I pray, God, that there would be this reaction. Lord, we learned last week, lost people matter to you. Heaven celebrates every time somebody comes home, every time somebody bows a knee, every time somebody's eternal position is changed from hell to heaven. And now, God, we see that an evangelist is not just somebody that stands up in a church or somebody that's on TV or somebody that holds special meetings in an auditorium somewhere, that we're your hands and your feet. We're your evangelists. Because... Lord, many people 
will go to places that none of us will ever be privileged to go. They have friends that we will never have. They have co-workers that we will never have. They have neighbors that we will never have. And you are calling them to be your evangelists to them. So I pray, God, that you would help them to take whatever styles or styles that they have. You gave them. You've got a call in upon their life. You wired them up a certain way. And I pray that you would use them and empower them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. I love you. Have a great, great day. Be sure you're back with us next Sunday.